0: In the beginning, God created the world such that uh, we were meant to have a relationship with him. We would walk in harmony with God as humanity, and we would cultivate the earth in his image so that we would have space for a true relationship. We were given a choice in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Our choice was to choose whether God was running the show here or whether we were. Who knows best? Who is, in fact, the king of creation? Now we know what humanity chose if we've read the biblical narrative. We pushed away God as king to find a better vision of the good life. We pushed away the kingdom of light, the kingdom of life, the kingdom of beauty, of good, of love. This is what's meant when we hear the phrase, the kingdom of God. From that day forward, we found ourselves consistently choosing against the king of the universe for darkness, for selfishness, for personal gain, for things that might masquerade as good, but which we know are driven by distorted motives. We initiated a great battle on this earth between the only two kingdoms, that of light and darkness, and that's a major theme in the Gospel of John that we've just read our passage from this evening, light and darkness. We lost the relationship that we were made for, pushing away, then and now, the rule of God and his kingdom of light and love. Fast forward, Good Friday, 2021. We have the privilege of being in the part of history that can look back on the whole story We know, in fact, that the first Good Friday, almost 2,000 years ago, was a decisive blow against darkness and evil. On this day 2,000 years ago, it would have looked like the blow was made by darkness, but we see the cross through a resurrection lens. We see Jesus and how he saves the world and rescues all who calls on his name, both at the end of all things and bringing new life to us today, praise the Lord. One one professor of mine liked to quote a prominent theologian, John Murray, who famously did not like talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. He said because they were so inseparable, he only liked talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I think I saw my professor actually bite his tongue once when he tried to mimic him. It is true, we cannot understand this day's events, Jesus on the cross, without the events two days from now on Easter. But similarly, maybe more challengingly, we cannot move on too quickly from the resurrection without first understanding the cross. And On Good Friday, we look specifically at what the cross really means. But we have to be careful in doing this. Because in our endeavor to understand the cross, the church has unwittingly made it smaller. Too small, in fact, to recapture what was lost in the garden. So that's what we'll look at this evening, because the cross tells us so much more than just how we were saved, but what we are rescued for. Now imagine you're asked about the meaning of the cross by somebody. Somebody who is totally outside of the Christian faith, wanting to know more. This is not unusual on Good Friday. Why are you going to church on a Friday? Well, let me tell you about it. One biblical interpreter, N.T. Wright, has observed that many Christians around the world would answer a question about the cross along these lines. We were given this moral examination, and we all flunked it. So now, we all have to die. And unfortunately for us, someone else has died in our place. So we can go to heaven when we die. It's better to believe that than to believe nothing. If this were the cross, then the cross is in the context of a courtroom. Now, the more generous courtroom understanding of the cross might be something like we are on trial and we are judged based on whether we invite Jesus to advocate for us or not. Do we allow him to stand in for us, to take the separation from God that we have, in fact, earned? If we simply point to Jesus, we walk away free, not by anything of our own doing, but through the cross, God gives us grace. I'll call this the courtroom cross. And I think this is a fair reading of what many Christians believe, but as N.T. Wright goes on to say, and I think this is a challenge we need to hear It's simply not the way the Bible itself tells the story. The problem with the courtroom cross is that it's only part of the story. It only tells us how we are rescued, not what we are rescued for. Now, to be sure, there's nothing false in uh, the description of the courtroom cross that I just gave. We are, in fact, rescued from sin through the cross. The big, hairy theological word for this pronouncement is justification. We are made right. St. Paul says it succinctly in his letter to the Romans. He says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now we focus on the how of God's rescue because we feel the reality that we need it. We all need rescuing. We all miss the mark of being fully human. We all sin. We all push away the kingdom of light and its king in one way or another. We all bend moments for our own personal gain. We all treat people with respect based predominantly on the number in their bank account or the number of degrees on their wall. We vent our frustration with others in more places and in more ways than we probably should. We all use people or allow ourselves to be used by other people. The courtroom cross tells us that unique to Christian faith is the fact that God that you've done. Because there's no way that we could do that. When you begin to dive into the inner workings of the human heart, we begin to see what really motivates us so often. I'll give you a silly example. My oldest son, Isaiah, who is almost five and probably of the age to where I should stop using him in sermon illustrations, is currently going through a no-pants-wearing stage. This is a stage that some of us eventually grow out of, and usually I have all the patience in the world for this, patiently reminding Isaiah of the boundaries. You should wear pants. And I'll engage in a dialogue about how we're feeling along the way. but. If you catch me at the end of the day when I'm tired and I just want a cup of tea and a good book, but Isaiah keeps kicking off his pants, thus extending bedtime, let me tell you, it's not pretty. When I'm squeezed and the things that I want are at stake and a little bit of fear as to whether or not my child will ever wear pants again comes in, my anger, my frustration rears its head. And whether or not the pants ever make it on Isaiah, the kingdom of darkness has won a very minor skirmish. We need to know how we are rescued, the courtroom cross, that all of the distance that we create between ourselves and God, all of the darkness that we push ourselves into, all of this falls onto Jesus on one day, and it crushes him. But it frees us. We are loved. We are forgiven. If only we will receive it. This is the courtroom cross, and it is a core aspect of the gospel. The only problem with this cross is it's incomplete. We learn how we are saved, but not so much the life that we are saved for. Now, you may be tempted to stop me here. Say, Michael, Easter tells us about the saved form of the cross. Can't you wait just two more days? This is supposed to be the day where we focus on our sin and our need. Don't rush it. Good things come to those who wait. And yes, Easter does show us a fuller picture of what resurrection life looks like. But we need to make sure not to rush and lose the wider scope of the cross. For example, every Sunday, together, we confess our sins, and this is so powerful to do as a community. Tomorrow, we're going to offer a couple of hours where you can confidentially confess your sins to one of our priests as a rite of healing. In just a moment, we will come to venerate and honor the cross down front, and if you would like, you can place a nail on the cross to represent an area of your life that you feel led to give over to Jesus for the first time or to give over to him afresh. Confession is a beautiful aspect of how we corporately walk out our faith in Jesus. But if Jesus pronounces us free from all our sins, then why do we do this? Why do we confess our sins? Why do we do so many of the things that we do, many of which Jesus has asked us to do himself? These are the actions not merely of individuals who were rescued, but of citizens of a new kingdom. They're an outworking of a relationship restored between a good king and the citizens that he loves. N.T. Wright puts it succinctly again. What the four Gospels are doing is talking about the coming of God's kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. When you look at the crucifixion narratives in all four Gospels, it's all about Jesus being enthroned as king. This is why we find that Jesus speaks the most about the kingdom of God than anything else throughout the Gospels. He proclaims elsewhere, my kingdom is not of this world. Of course it wasn't, because in our charge to care for the world, we have made the world a place that is inhospitable to the kingdom of God. But out of love, love for us, Jesus's kingdom came back by storm. In the beginning, it was a whole kingdom that was lost. Our relationship with God was the crown jewel of that kingdom. So to recapture it, we need more than a judge. We need a king who judges evil and injustice and with whom we can regain our relationship. When we zoom out and we include the voice of all four Gospels, we see that the cross is not just a courtroom. It is the initiation of a whole kingdom coming to bear on the reality of this world. In other words, the cross is not merely a courtroom, it's a coronation. The crowning of King Jesus, who had just won the decisive victory over the kingdom of darkness on the cross. So when we remember Jesus on the cross, we should remember a king of a new and powerful kingdom into which we are invited. And the king's first seat of power is, in fact, a cross. He breathes life into our daily experiences as our king, our daily experiences of following Jesus, and and we're meant to then bring the ethos of this new and good kingdom of light to bear on the world around us. But if all that we know is the courtroom cross, then we will bump up against its limitations. We'll be left wondering, what does this have to do with my day-to-day, with my padded bank account or with my suffering, with my life choices or my relationships? We'll ask, if the cross only means that a judge looks at Jesus instead of me, then where am I in this whole thing? Is my personality lost in this courtroom cross? At times we might be so focused on winning souls with the courtroom that we actually forget that we make some pretty awful Christians at times. At worst, we set people up to receive forgiveness and still be kind of a jerk. These are just some of the limitations of a smaller courtroom cross. But if the cross brings a kingdom, then we can no longer settle for being saved from the kingdom of darkness only. We must remember that we are saved for the kingdom of light. The kingdom of darkness consumes its citizens, but the kingdom of light dies for them. What does it mean to be saved for a kingdom of light? It means that we do more than just remember what Jesus once did. We are rescued to be the citizenry of this kingdom. We take ownership of what Jesus is doing in the world, mopping up evil in this world. A decisive blow was, in fact, made against evil, and we are meant to step alongside of Jesus in the cleaning up effort as he rolls back oppression, bullying, abuse, greed, vanity, pandemics. It means that we have, you know, everything that we have, our resources, our personality— our skills, our connections, our desires, all of this is not only highly valued by our king, our king but it's seen. seen the spe- he sees the specificities of who you are, you personally. And he catches all of this up, and he catches us up into this original place that we were meant to hold as God's rulers over creation. As humanity goes, so goes the world. And this was always the way that it was meant to be. And so we cultivate the world in God's image. That means whatever it is that you do for work is kingdom work, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it will last into eternity. In the kingdom of God, we see a big coronation cross, which is bigger than any sin that you may have committed, any sin that you think disqualifies you. It's bigger than any sin that has been done against you and that has tainted your view of the world. Jesus is still rolling back darkness through us and in us. Why do we confess our sins? Because when we recognize lingering shards of darkness within us, we can trust a gentle, not domineering king to forgive and to break the power of darkness that he has already done on the cross 2,000 years ago. We don't need to be afraid of this because Jesus is king and his kingdom is good and he loves you. In the beginning, God created the world that we would all live with God in this kingdom of light. And that's what he has his sights set on again. The scope of the Bible, of the cross, is the scope of a kingdom. A kingdom begun, lost, and recaptured by storm. At 6 p.m. on that dark Friday 2,000 years ago, the world was a different place. Jesus had broken the powers of darkness, and in so doing, he was crowned King of the Kingdom of Light, which is breaking into the world again. Our Good Friday invitation is this Will you join King Jesus, forgiven and empowered through a big cross? as he captures and heals the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.